one custom car care. Good morning and welcome. We got Sarah and Dustin, A one custom car care. Miss Sarah, how is the world treating you it's out there? Good. You know, I feel like we're getting kind of close to spring. I have that same feeling. I don't want to jinx it though. And I think you're right. I, I don't want to get too amped up, you know, to see the grass start to maybe turn green a little bit again. Mm-hmm. I always it's not that I forget how much I love green grass, but during the spring, when everything starts to green up, the trees bud out, I just really enjoy that time of year. Me too. We are going to do a giant spring cleaning at our house this uh, this spring. We're we're pulling out all the stops. So you having a yard sale? I think we are. I think we're going to definitely do that. It all must go because I'm just at the point that there's clutter and I just can't take it anymore. I'm the same way. We are also having a yard <laughs> yes. sale. So yeah. I don't know when, but we are going to have tons of baby stuff. Oh, that's right. You will. Yes. You sure you're not going to hang on to it for maybe another? No. Uh, no. <laughs> Just nope. uh, give it a little time. Give it a little time. I don't think so. Now that I, you know, I've got kids that are, uh, oh, I guess I could say, you know, anywhere from three mm-hmm. up into their mid to late teens and even, you know, bordering on their 20s. So um, as they get older, you kind of lose that like, hey, you know, I kind of like having a little kid around. Mm. It is a lot of work. It is a lot But I think even as you get older, though, you get a little more patient as well. Yeah, I definitely see that. That helps. Yep. I've noticed a lot of uh, growth in Mm -hmm. in patience. I'm a very impatient person, but Uh I am learning. Well, you're a very good steward of it. (laughs) It does change kind of your outlook on things. And as we go into spring and and we get young drivers, you know, at some point you and Ryan will have a young driver. Don't even say that. How do you feel about that? That makes me sick to my stomach. We have. 15 years so we're good take full advantage of it is 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 uh you know any advice i could give but shockingly enough and i heard it as well before you know it you'll wake up and they'll be driving and then they'll be you know off to college or trade school or you know to start their life you're gonna make me sad i'm not trying to i'm i if i had it to do over again i would have took more time for the little things i think everybody kind of figures Mm -hmm. that out it's not something that, you know, you can, everybody says it and you're like, oh yeah, sure, blah, blah, blah. No, it, you know, being older now at this point in my life, I definitely appreciate the little things. So as we go into, uh, we've got a young driver, uh, my oldest daughter, she's getting ready to, she is 16, but she is dragging her feet, getting her permit. Have you noticed any of the young folks not as jazzed up about getting their license you know what i really feel like this kind of started with my generation if Mm -hmm. you will a lot of kids that i went to school with they did not jump on the bandwagon of getting their permit and their license right away okay so maybe it's not a new thing to me it just happens to be new to me I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. I uh, honestly was driving, you know, a little bit safely out in the rural areas even before I turned 16. And I'm very thankful for that. You know, a lot of people I think would be a little faux pas about that. But I'm glad my folks, you know, taught me how to drive a manual transmission vehicle. I took my driving test in a manual. It, uh, you know, I passed the first time. I didn't have to take the test more than once. And... I'm kind of thinking now that maybe it should be a refresher for some drivers as we continue to go, as big of a pain in the butt as that would be. But if you drive around the Springfield metro area, you know that some folks, you know, maybe have forgotten a thing or two about driving etiquette. I could do a whole show on that, but we won't. 
but as we go through it, were you, uh, you know, eager to get your freedom and be able to drive at all? Or was it just kind of like a meh, not such a big thing? I kind of was like meh, but I was excited when I finally did get my driver's license. Like I didn't go out on my birthday and go and get it. Mm -hmm. It was a couple months later. Oh, really? So Mm -hmm. you waited a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I was really excited once I did decide to go and get my license. Uh, I passed on the second time. Nice. Yeah. So where did you take your test for any of the local folks? Because I think that does have something uh-huh. to do with it of where you decide to test. Yes. Well, I tested once in Springfield and my second time in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I got dinged on the uh, the the parallel parking. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's really what my, my problem is. And to this day, I'm terrible at parallel parking. <laughs> I uh, I did pass my parallel parking. I uh, I got dinged for two things. See if I can remember what it was. One of them was knowing, and this is going to sound dumb, but that's okay. I like to keep it real with everybody. She asked the lady, she was a wonderful instructor, by the way, uh, where the defrost icon was. And I don't know if I was so nervous because I know what the defrost mm-hmm. I, but I was just really nervous. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Well, I lost points for that. So, you know, as you... You know, get in as a young driver. Um, you know, I had places to go and I money to make more than anything. I needed to go to work. My son's definitely, he is so active in sports and activities. So he's always before school and after school. I can't wait for him to get his license so he can get himself <laughs> back and forth. But I had some great advice from another shop owner. Um, Asby Automotive actually is, is the, you know, the shop owner or w- was the previous shop owner. Um, he told me one time, the job of a driver is to make your passengers as comfortable as possible. That is your role. And, you know, that sounds, I guess, you know, should make sense. But until I heard him put it that way, I was like, man, that's exactly what it is. You know, whether you're driving a manual transmission, which engagement and disengagement of the, the clutch and the gears is a little more difficult. You know, if you're riding with somebody that knows what they're doing, it's pretty smooth. But if not, you got the head bob every time somebody shifts. And, you know, there's not a lot of manuals out there anymore, but just with the automatics as well. And smooth cornering, nice, even acceleration through the corner. So you're, you know, instead of coasting through the corner or hard acceleration through the corner. Um, I also had a very good. Uh, driving instructor. I took driver's ed. Did you have the pleasure of taking driver's ed? No, I did not take it. Did they offer it? Yes. Okay. Was there a reason you didn't take it? Now I'm just curious more than anything. No. So my parents, they taught me how to drive and they taught me how to drive old school. So we parked my parents' vehicles in the back field uh-huh. and i had to learn how to go around them and to parallel wow. park with them All right. now it was very intimidating okay yes good but for them. my parents were really good about taking me out to teach me how to drive mm-hmm. uh, in fact uh, i was a couple weeks ago on social media before i got banned on facebook um dun, dun, dun. <laughs> i know i know but uh but before i got banned somebody had asked in the fairgrove community where to take young drivers to kind of get comfortable before mm-hmm. you take them out on main roads. And my parents, they taught me at Fellows Lake. Okay. They have tons of different little roads that you can take. There's lots of curves. There's lots of roadways that you can take. And there's not very much traffic on that, on those okay. roads. So that's where my parents took me. But they also took me to the Green Lawn Cemetery off of the north side of town. Okay. And once again, tons of 
of corners and turns and um, not much traffic, but there is a lot of people who walk. So mm-hmm. you have to, to learn how to be careful and be aware of pedestrians. Sure. But, and there's other vehicles that are parked on the, the roadways as well. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn how to go around those as well. So those were the two places that I really learned how to drive. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think that is awesome. Very, very good. Uh, both locations, excellent. And just the experience, you know, it's, as much as we all learn online or from books or videos and YouTube and all that, there's only so much learning you can get until you get in the hot seat and you exactly. feel how the brakes react and how the accelerator and how the transmission and how the curves and the road and, and watching out for other drivers and pe- pedestrians, which is, you know, sometimes the biggest challenge. You know, if it was just you out there, it wouldn't be no big deal, but you got to worry about how other people conduct and operate exactly. their vehicles. And here in Springfield, we have a lot of foot traffic, way, way more foot traffic than I ever remember as a kid. Yes. And, you know, even the as we come into spring and summer, I try and be very courteous to our bicyclists out there. Um, you know, had a dear friend. He's passed away at this point. He was an avid cyclist. Um, and sometimes where they're cycling, the roads don't aren't uh, basically developed for a bike lane. So I'm glad to see some of that starting to come into Springfield. I spent a little time out in Colorado a couple of years back, and they had a lot of great bike lanes and traffic. The infrastructure was basically there for it. So huge, huge uh, advocate for that. And people getting outside. People need to get outside. The The amount of time, you know, especially over the last couple of years that we've all been cooped up, I think a lot of folks are wanting to get out, you know, hiking, biking, walking, just enjoying the great outdoors. And I'm so thankful to live in this part of the Midwest that, you know, we have some beautiful things to go and see and do and events to get out to that you really don't find at any other part of the country, at least that I've found. So definitely love it. But Sarah and I are going to step into our first break. We're going to pick it up on the other side right after this. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back, Sarah and Dustin. A1 Custom Car Care. It's going to be a little bit of an interesting kind of bouncing around show today, I, I feel like. If you out there in Radioland have some input of maybe some, you know, good lessons that young drivers should or good training procedures or locations sarah can they send it into the show and they sure can release that out there to everybody the best way to do it is on our text line and that phone number is 417-447-5743 you can also find that phone number at ksgf.com and those are really the best ways to uh to reach out to us and in fact we actually had a listener message oh um they wanted to know, Dustin, is the changed recommendation for transmission flush at 100,000 miles instead of the older 60,000 miles valid? Oh, for sure. So this is a very loaded question. And Sarah, if I go off the rails, definitely please reel me back in. But I really appreciate the interaction with you guys sending in thoughts, questions, comments, even critiques. Bring it on. I'm not scared. I don't think Sarah is either. She can hold her own for sure. No, you just might hurt my feelings a little. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Good question. So that is manufacturer specific. So I don't know what kind of car did Sarah, do they happen to put that in there? No, it was just kind of generic. So as far as service goes, I'm going to try and hopefully explain why I feel this way. 
some of them, some of my GM brethren out there, they have actually pushed their first transmission service to 40,000 miles. And I am much more on the proactive side of things, not because I want to do extra services or sell fluid or whatever you guys want to, you know, think that my motivation is. My motivation is over the last two decades, I went to my first year of vocational school, I think in 2001 in Monette, Missouri. Greg Allen was my instructor for two years. Absolutely amazing instructor. Just because you can do does not mean you can teach, but this man could definitely do both. He was an excellent automotive technician, mechanic, whatever you want to call him, but he was a very good diagnostician. So when people in that market in the Monette area couldn't figure out something, even from the dealer level sometimes, independent shops, customers. He had such a great reputation, and I promise I'll get back to the question here in just a second, that we ended up our class with a lot of those weird, difficult uh, problem solving where people had thrown parts at it or guessed, essentially, and we would end up working through it and did a, had a very high success rate. So long story short, for the last 20 years, I have been paying very close attention. I live, eat, sleep, and breathe the automotive industry, not because I have to, but because I love it. And this is my chosen profession. So I can tell you with hundreds, if not thousands of examples, that if you will service your fluids just at least a few times, especially in the beginning of you owning the vehicle, okay? So say you buy a new vehicle or a low miles vehicle, you want to service those fluids a little prematurely, in my opinion, because any of the break-in material, so when you build an engine, transmission, power steering system, transfer case, differential, etc., when you build one, no matter how good you are, those components are going to mesh and wear portions of them together. So basically, you know, steel sharpens steel, for lack of a better way to put it. And what it does, that material is removed. So if you have, you know, bearings and crank and rod and, you know, camshafts, gear drives, etc., timing chains inside a transmission, you've obviously got a pump, valve body, drums, you know, case. When you have a new system, I want to have that break-in happen over time and then like I said, a little premature, I'm personally, for me or anybody that, you know, has developed a relationship and understands that I'm a very proactive technician as a company, we're very proactive as far as preventing failures. Now, specifically to the question, I absolutely would not wait 100,000 miles on any vehicle. I don't care what the manufacturer says, because I see them fail after they're out of warranty. Okay. So from the manufacturer's point of view, and this is just my read on it, they may have a different point of view, but I, I think I'm probably pretty close. Their whole goal and focus is to spend as little money as possible for the duration of your warranty. So if you have a 60,000 mile, 100,000 mile powertrain, they have spent a lot of money and a lot of uh, research and development figuring out how to keep the cost of ownership to as minimal as possible, the warranty, uh, you know, manufacturer's warranty to as, as little as possible. But once that's gone, their mindset is it's not their problem anymore. And if you have a catastrophic failure, say at 120, 
150, even 200,000 miles, let's say sub 200,000, it's not their problem. So if it's a $10,000 repair and you go into, say, a dealership or even an independent shop and, you know, you're faced with this out-of-pocket repair from the dealer's side of things, and I'm not picking on the dealers. There's a lot of great dealers out there. Whether you fix it or they sell you a new car, it's a win for them. I think that's I don't think that's smoke and mirrors, but that's not something I think a lot of people pick up on. So if you get 120,000 miles out of your car, or say 150, 170,000, and you go in and you're faced with, hey, I need $10,000 out of pocket, or 3,000 or 5,000, whatever the number is, versus, hey, I just signed on the dotted line and I got another car payment for six to 10 years. Sometimes a lot of folks, that's where they go is they just upgrade into another car. And that's fine. If that's what you want to do, man, more power to you. If you have the financial means to do so, man, that'd be great. I'd love to drive a new truck every, you know, three to five years. uh, And maybe someday I will. But my mindset now really isn't, that's not what I'm looking for. I want at a minimum, when we buy a vehicle that we plan to keep, even used or new to us, I want to drive it for a minimum of 10 years. We've got some older kids and they're like, we're going to drive it until the wheels fall off and it just can't be fixed. And I'll I'll flat tell them, be careful what you ask for, because I can keep that vehicle running darn near indefinitely with a little bit of care and some ingenuity and some know-how of taking care of vehicles. So most of my personal vehicles, I look to get at least 10 years out of. I've got some that I've got way more than that out of. I've got some that I sold and upgraded to something that had some better capabilities. But the flip side of that as well, and this is just isn't my personal experience, is I've had customers, friends, uh, you know, clients that come in and do proactive maintenance and service on them. And they're driving their transmissions three and 400,000 miles without skipping a beat. So the proof's in the pudding. I realize it's a very long-winded answer. But when you wait, and, and I use this analogy, I don't know if it's a good analogy, but it you know it's the best one I can think of. When you're doing dishes in the sink at, at the house, or you know, I spent some time when I in my younger days doing uh, commercial dish cleaning at restaurants, which was quite an experience. You don't wait until the water is so degraded in order to change it. And if you do, you will make people sick. Okay. There's a reason that, you know, you, you get fresh, clean, sanitary, you, you typically get all the debris and, you know, the garbage from the dishes. And then if it gets too bad, you change the dishwater. For lack of a better word or term, that's essentially what we're talking about now. If you don't, and you wait until the fluid is already, you know, degraded and poor, the wear internally has already happened, and there's no reversing it. I am a big, um, I won't say I'm an additive fan. I'm an additive fan for certain companies. Some of the additives are absolutely snake oil, and they don't do anything. I have spent a lot of time going to Valvoline's World Headquarters, BG Services World Headquarters, and a ton of personal hands-on research with all different kinds of stuff you can buy off the shelf. And some of it does work and do what it's supposed to, but it will never, and I cannot stress that enough, it will never be able to take the wear back out of a vehicle that if it's been neglected or run too long. So on the front side, unless you want to just drive your vehicle until it's broken, 
and just deal with it at that point, which I, in my experience, is always ill-timed and is always more expensive than being proactive on the front side of it. I'm going to service mine depending on how I use it, typically in the 30 to 50,000 mile range. That's my recommendation. And my life expectancy of my transmissions compared to most folks, and I do a lot of towing, by the way. If you do more towing, you need to do it a little bit more uh, prematurely or a more frequent interval. Because I don't want that fluid to get broken down and start wearing my hard parts inside the transmission engine differential. You can fill in the blank with whatever component that elect, that uh, fluid touches. I don't want to wait till it's broken. And so I talk a lot and knock on wood, I'm going to jinx myself, but I think it's it's very much merit to have this discussion. So the vehicle that I tow with the most is an 03 uh, Chevy 3500 two-wheel drive with a Duramax with an Allison 1000 transmission. Now, that's an extremely robust transmission, but I don't want to buy myself any extra trouble so keeping the transmission fluid cool or monitoring the temperature to make sure you're not overheating it when doing a hard, long pull or just daily driving. That truck has got right at 355000 on it, and I take it on multi-hour, multi-hundreds-of-mile runs quite often, maybe a couple of times a month normally to pick up broken equipment, broken vehicles, different stuff that I'm you know trying to work and, and take care of. As well as my next one that also has, you know, 445000 on it, I don't have any transmission issues with it. So I do not comply or recommend going to that 100,000-mile interval. You will have transmission uh, replacement in your future. So it's a very long-winded answer. Hopefully that made sense. If it doesn't, hit us up and I'll get into it. But we're down at the bottom of the hour. Sarah and I will pick it up on the other side. For complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back, Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. You got some other, uh, it looks like you got quite a bit over there. What do, you, what do we do. got to talk about? So I think that you'll like this one. Okay. This is not a listener question, but this is something that I saw on social media. Mm-hmm. And this is our friends over at KY3, Brandon Beck. Yes. He posted this, I don't know, a couple days ago. Okay. This is what he says. Okay, home mechanics, I need ideas. My son has a 2001 Chevy Blazer. It wasn't starting, even though it cranked just fine, unless jumped. I had already replaced the fuel pump a few months ago, so I assumed it was a spark issue. I replaced each of the following parts and then tried to start it without jumping. A ignition coil, which didn't help. Mm-hmm. A distributor cap, mm-hmm. didn't help. Yep. Plugs and wires. Yep. Auto light double platinum, didn't help. Fuel filter didn't help. The truck did eventually start on its own after a lot of cranking. It seemed to run smooth for a couple of minutes and then started popping now and then. Code 0300 random misfire. Mm-hmm. The truck did not do that before. Then I checked the fuel pressure, which was 45 to 50 instead okay. of 60 PSI. So I changed the fuel pump to OEM and it started immediately. However, it still had the popping and 0300 code. Next, I changed the plugs again to OEM AC Delco Iridium. It still misfires. I didn't mess with the distributor rotor at all, but notice there is a very slight give in it. Uh, in other words, I can make it back and forth very slightly, 
very slightly. The truck ran fine all summer, then developed the hard start issue in September and never had the misfire problem. So what's next? Okay, that's great detail. Definitely sounds like he's in the trenches trying to fight this thing out. Uh, I really like those vehicles. They were pretty robust, but there is some inherent, um, I guess, flaws or issues with that. I have a gut feeling, and I'll share that with you guys here in just a second. One thing is OEM parts. I probably would have done that right out of the gate, which sounds like he's at, at that point. I do not, especially in today's day and age, the aftermarket parts right now will not only typically not fix it, they will create problems you didn't have previously, which is maddening as a mechanic to where, okay, you, you diagnose it correctly, you throw it on there, and not only do you not have that problem fixed, but then you have an additional problem as well, which is just crazy. So fuel pressure, great test. The other thing that I would do, and you have to have a little bit more advanced fuel pressure tester is I do a volume check. So pressure is one thing, volume is the other thing. You must have enough fuel volume going to the engine to make it run. And typically my rule of thumb is a half a pint of fuel in 15 seconds. And if you do it while the engine's running, I've done it on these engines hundreds if not thousands of times, if the engine stumbles while doing a fuel sample or purge, then you have a fuel volume or a flow issue. So that'd be the first thing I would go after, as well as I want to know if the fuel pressure builds to spec and holds. If you're using a cheap, um, you know, like bottom of the barrel fuel pressure tester, a lot of times they don't read accurate. And I've used all kinds over the years. I've done the parts store cheap ones. I have multiple snap-on ones, Mac. I've done a bunch of them. And they don't all read the same. So I'm not going to put a lot of stake in the fuel pressure reading until I have faith in the gauge. But then I'm going to do that volume test as well as the what I call the peak and hold. Whatever the peak pressure and does it hold that for a length of time. So that's going to tell me whether my fuel system is in relatively adequate shape. There are some other tests that you could do with the scan tool. Uh, monitoring oxygen sensors to see whether they're staying at a high millivolt range for some of my higher level do-it-yourselfer folks out there, um, especially under load. And then we have some equipment that will actually measure the amount of hydrocarbons or gas molecules that are coming out of the tailpipe. But that's really kind of at the professional level, if you will. For my do-it-yourselfers, that will get most 90% of cars taken care of. Next, I'm going to go forward, and I'm actually going to, it's pretty inexpensive. They make a spark tester, not any spark tester. They have some that have a little LED light in there. They have some that, you know, uh, have a little clip and a spark plug on the end of it. The one I prefer, and I don't know whether we can make a link or put it out there, but there's a company out there that makes one that has a glass tube, and you can dial in the amount of spark gap that you need. So... I typically start at really around 20 thousandths outside the combustion chamber. I find a good ground. I run the ignition lead over to it to a safe area that's not going to shock any electrical components. I'm, I'm not hooking it to the fuel rail or anything like that. A good, safe ground. And I will crank the engine over during the no-start condition. And I want a minimum of 20 thousandths gap jump. And I want a good, crisp, blue lightning bolt spark. And I typically want one that has a glass vial that causes a little bit of resistance for that spark. So it stresses 
the spark or the ignition system a little bit more than normal. If I have that and it's red, red is dead. Red is a weak uh, ability to create and maintain enough capacity for ignition. If I have good blue spark, it cracks real crisp. I'm going to open that up to about 40 thousandths and I'm going to check it again. My gut feeling that when you have a no start is that you have a spark related issue. Now, those are notorious for a couple of different things, but bad distributors, the pickup down in the distributor, typically it will cause some issues. So I usually don't disassemble and try and rebuild them. I know there's techs out there that can do that, but I want the absolute highest reliability and solving that problem as possible. So more often than not, if I go through that, and find out that I do have a spark-related issue, I'm going to trace it back, and you can do that with your spark tester, and I'm going to get real suspicious and picky with the distributor. Now, that doesn't mean I'm just going to throw a distributor in it. On the professional side of the world, I have what's called an oscilloscope, and we will actually check the inputs and outputs and see whether that is what's causing my spark issue versus just guessing and throwing and spending more money on parts that you may or may not need. So if that's the case, and say my ignition system's in good shape, the next thing that I'm going to go after is fuel delivery, not from the pump and the pressure that we've already talked about, but from the delivery into the cylinder. So there's a couple of DIY things I'll, I'll kind of do or go over. Um, some of it will be a Noid light, which is a pretty cheap, reasonable thing. That's not a very expensive tool. You unplug the electrical connector, and it has a small light bulb that will you know, lightly load the circuit and show you whether it's getting a pulse to fire the fuel injector. If I don't have one of those and I have an oscilloscope, there's some ways to check it with an oscilloscope, but kind of a backyard quick way is to use either a long screwdriver or an automotive stethoscope, and you can actually hear the pintle kind of click or snap when the injector is commanded to fire. There's a magnetic field that opens a what's called a pintle or a little gateway that allows for fuel delivery and then does that with electromagnetic triggers in the fuel injector. So that allows you to very quickly without really disturbing a lot of the engine wiring harness in case it could be an electrical issue to determine whether it's actually sending fuel or commanding fuel down into the combustion chamber. So that'll kind of tell you another way. Um, if I have a vehicle that, you know, is not starting and I can add a supplemental fuel supply. Now, you have to be safe doing this because I have seen and I have done it, caught vehicles on fire trying to add a supplemental fuel source if I have a fuel delivery or a command issue. And if it starts and runs good until that supplemental fuel source is taken away, that verifies my ignition system's in good shape, my computer control's in good shape, and I and it steers me back to the fuel delivery issue. So this is really a very long explanation of why it's so critical to have a good troubleshooting or diagnostic system put in place with some equipment and the skills to use use it. I have been in this situation where folks have really attempted a lot of stuff over the years and tried to fix their vehicle. They finally throw in the towel and they bring it in and say, hey, I've spent all this money. One of the most glaring ones I can think of, it wasn't a Blazer. It was a little bit later model Chevy Trailblazer. 
this lady had had, I don't know who working on it, but they had spent over $5,000 trying to fix her trailblazer because they didn't want to pay for diagnostic time or checkout time. And I get that. I really do. But that is some of the most value that A1 Custom Car Care has to offer to folks is that we don't end up putting a whole bunch of parts on that may have been more inferior in quality than the parts that we took off or you as a do-it-yourselfer took off and spend all that money that you didn't need to spend. So the lady with the trailblazer, if I remember why, if I remember right, I did a very simple wiring repair it, to to find out where it is, which is very difficult, and do the repair, we were under a couple hundred bucks. And she had allowed somebody else to, you know, basically waste over $5,000 of her money, let alone if you are doing it on your own and, and you can, I tip my hat to you, your time is worth something as well. Time is not free for any of us. The older I get, the more I realize time is the very absolute biggest commodity that I have And I can't just freely give it away like I did when I was younger. You know, anybody that needed help doing anything, I was right there. And I ran around just, you know, killing myself for other folks and figured out that, hey, there are people in the world to do that for. But you can't do it for everybody, no matter how much you want to. But time is worth something. So I don't want you to waste a lot of your time and money pulling your hair out. So I hope that helped. Um, If anybody else has got any input on it, I'd love to hear about it. But we're going to step into one more break. We'll be right back after this. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back, Sarah Dustin. A1 Custom Car Care. It's been a little bit since I got real techie with anybody. Did any of that make any sense? No. (laughs) Not to me. Uh, But I'm sure somebody out there was like, oh, yeah, I'm following right along. I hope it made sense (laughs) to somebody out there. If anything, and it doesn't, it's not that I ever want to, like, talk super techie and lose people. That's not my intention it's just not as cut and dry as it was, you know, years ago where, oh, it's running bad. I need a tune-up, and you go right back into driving your vehicle. Um, these are very difficult to figure out accurately what's going on with it. And as a company, for the last almost 20 years, I can personally, you know, vouch that the, one of the biggest expenses and focuses we have as a company is training our people and equipping our shops to where they are, you know, very well-equipped and can get to the bottom of what's going on with these cars. Now, we do not have a Magic 8-Ball. I would love to tell you that we got one back there. You shake it up, and it says, oh, it's the spark plugs, or oh, it's the whatever. And it's just not how it is. And it's getting so, uh, I don't want to say difficult, because that's part of the beauty of it, is that they have really done some amazing things to where you can get three, four 400,000 miles out of a vehicle now, with what they're charging, you got to get that kind of miles out of it because you can't afford to replace it every, you know, six to 10 years. You need to be able to drive this thing for many, many years because they're 60, 80, 100 grand. Uh, Sarah, I saw this truck. I think it was at, uh, oh, I can't remember the big um, car event in Vegas. It, it eludes me at the moment. But um, there was a big car event. You know how I love trucks, mm-hmm. right? So have you ever seen the super singles that they put on 18-wheelers? Instead of the two dual tires on the back, they have one real wide tire on the back of an Mm 18-wheeler. Somebody built an F550, which is, you know, absolutely the cat's meow for hauling. 
and I think it was 2022, and they converted it from a dually over to a super single in the rear differential. And I think those tires and wheels they converted it to would hold like 14,000 or 15,000 pounds each. So payload of this truck was like 30,000 pounds. Wow. And it got me thinking, you know, I, I just... I love trucks with capability. I don't think anybody that's ever talked to me doesn't know that that's like what I think about all the time. And when I saw that truck, I was like, dude, that is awesome. I, <laughs> uh, the bigger, the more I can hook to it, the more I can tow with it, you know, and drag broken junk up on it. Stacy, uh, <laughs> Stacy is a, a saint. Uh, <laughs> she somewhat puts up with me and then she's good at keeping me accountable and saying, Hey, you know, you've got 10 broken things here at the house. You probably ought to fix a few and and do something with them before you drag any more there. But uh, I just really thought that that was cool. And it got me thinking a little bit. I love my vehicles. And I know you're maybe at a point that you don't love your vehicle that you've got right now. But I hope you get back to that at some point. Yeah, I think that I will. So I just recently went through that new purchase. Mm-hmm. And I love my vehicle in a sense that it gets me to where I need to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little bit bigger than what my car is. But the whole crossover, my, my vehicle yeah. is a crossover. And I thought that I was going to be getting the best mm-hmm. of both worlds because I, I don't like bigger vehicles. Yep. I, ju- I just don't. But this is like the worst of both. (laughs) (laughs) You you lost your car and the capabilities of it. I did. So I have told you many, many times before that I have absolutely no trunk space in my vehicle. I didn't realize that until we were getting your toolkit out when your car alarm was going off Uh here a couple of weeks ago. You wasn't lying. You were not. It was very disappointing. I was like, holy cow. Yeah. And so basically what's in the back of my vehicle, I always have my son's stroller with me Mm -hmm. just because we go on a lot of walks and he's at that age now where he's not really in the car seat as much. I mean, Mm -hmm. he can be, but um, he can now ride in his stroller without the car seat. So it's it's nice to be able to to throw him in that Mm -hmm. and just be able to go on our way. So always that. And that's what takes up the entirety of my trunk. Yeah. No exaggeration. And uh, I don't have a big stroller either. It's normal size. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, my car is a little bit more room, or my crossover is a little bit more roomy than my car was, mm-hmm. but not by much. So yeah. I just feel like I gave up my car that I really, really loved yeah. uh, to try to make the, the best of both worlds. And it just, I don't know. I'm not happy with it. Well, and I hate to hear that because... You know, I I talk a lot about capabilities of vehicles, not just trucks. Trucks is kind of my world. Um, You know, I'm doing all kinds of truck stuff all the time, which I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't really enjoy getting in and out of cars very much. I'm a rather large gentleman. Um, But I enjoy SUVs and pickup trucks. But whatever the need is for you out there, and that really comes down to a lot of that interview process when you're coming in for service, is what are you using the car for? Is this really a light duty, just go to the grocery store and church and to the doctor, and it really doesn't ever go over 100 miles? Or is this something that, hey, I take a trip to Texas four times a year, I you know do a lot of stop-and-go driving, I tow occasionally, I shuffle kids all over creation, and we're running short trips all the time. All that leads into the 
care approach for your car. So kind of to the question earlier today, which I got really long-winded on, you know, when do we service a transmission? That backstory counts. And hopefully, you know, most of our service advisors know our customers so well, they really know how old their kids are, what their dog's name is. I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful to be surrounded by such amazing folks. And so they can help truly advise. That's really the biggest role of service advisor, in my opinion, is to know your car, know your needs, and then make sure we're equipping and tooling the car. And our approach is to get that, to, to hit that mark. If you're just, you know, like a you know shopping bag blowing around in the wind and you just wait till it breaks down, you're really at the mercy of the car and, you know, Murphy's Law, I guess, at this point that, you know, if it can and will happen, it'll pick the worst point in time to do so. And, you know, when I was younger and, you know, just barely scraping by, that's that was all I could do. I couldn't be proactive. But coming from that kind of lifestyle where I was driving vehicles that everybody else had given up on, because that's what I could afford when I was, you know, young and trying to make my, you know, appearance into adulthood. I can't tell you how many three and $500 just clunkers that I had over the years. And I could keep them on the road and keep them driving. But that came with a cost. There were times that it was broken down and I was putting a transmission in, you know, till three or four in the morning and then having to make sure that it was ready and drive to work the next day. I can say I've done that more times than I can probably count in our, our gravel driveway. And anybody that's ever you know, done service down on the ground, let alone in gravel, it is really kind of a labor of love, if you will. It's torture. And so as I, you know, hopefully started to be more uh, stable in my adulthood, I decided, hey, I really don't want to drive stuff that I got to work on every single week to get me back and forth to A and B, which I, I still do. Um, there's a reason our vehicles have three and 400,000 on them, but they still do what we need to. So I do a lot of care for those. That just doesn't happen by accident. But that's kind of what I want for everybody out there when you come into the shop and say, hey, this is what's going on. If you want to get a new car, that's awesome. I mean, I, I've, you know, I'm planning at some point in time to purchase a new pickup, but I'm not pigeonholed into a corner. And I've said this quite often. I really think the third and fourth quarter of this year is probably going to be a much better time to be buying either new to you vehicles or new vehicles in general. So it's 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 a patience and a waiting game, as so many things are. If you are able to wait, the right deal will show up. If you're in a spot and you haven't taken care of your vehicle and it gives up on you and you're stuck afoot, that's a bad spot to be. You have no negotiating power, nor can you wait and really weigh out your options to make sure that you get the best value for your money. And I don't know about you all out there, but the money is not going near as far as it used to. Um, even some of our trips to the grocery store and Sam's are getting whoo. They are really getting a reality check, even if you make a good living. If you have a two-income uh, household, my goodness. So I guess the, the moral of the story, Sarah, is that I think everybody should get as much out of their investment as possible. Absolutely. And I hate to see, and I, I do see it from time to time, where people show up, it's so broken. They don't have the money to put in the repairs. They you know, maybe don't want to finance the repairs or don't qualify, but they qualify for a new vehicle and they just go buy another problem. And then they're back in, you know, a few weeks or months later, and we're having another conversation that, hey, if this thing needs this amount of care and love, 
but now you got a car payment on top of it. That is just incredibly stressful. And that's why pre-purchase inspections are incredibly important as well if you do find yourself in that situation. Uh, But believe it or not, we are officially (laughs) out of show. Uh, I wish I could have ended that better. Um, Go enjoy the weather. It's nice out. And it's going to continue being nice uh, 37 days until spring. Or 34 or something. We're we're in the 30s. (laughs) If you're out there in radio land, you have a question or comment, you can text us on our text line 417-447-5743. Or you can reach out to us on social media at 1041KSGF. I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Be safe out there. Bye.